What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Crush, uh, the continuing Casey on Kubrick series, which by the way is not stopping. Ooh, okay. I say we do, uh, well, we'll talk about that yeah. at the end. Yeah, 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 we'll, sure. We'll pick out a new movie. Yeah. Uh, but this week we are going to be covering Eyes Wide Shut, which was Casey's number three pick when this was only supposed to be a three episode series. Right, right. Uh, I watched it last night, again. Mm-hmm. Seen it. I feel like that was probably like my fourth time. How how recently had you seen it before this most recent time? It had been a minute, but not like 10 years. Okay, like okay. I'd seen it within the last four or five years, I gotcha. think. And then saw it in the theater when it first came out. And we'll talk about all this, but um, it, it was a movie when it came out at the time. How old were you? I was, what let's was see. What I year was this, 99? Yeah, 99. And I think it came out over the summer. So I was 15, about to turn 16. So I actually did not get to see this theatrically. Okay. And it's the only Kubrick movie um, that I was like aware uh-huh. of and knew about as it was being made, as mm-hmm. it was like about to come out. Um, so that was kind of disappointing to yeah. not actually be able to go see it in the theater. I have since seen it theatrically probably two or three times. But, oh, okay. Yeah. At a screening. But like much later in life, like sure. in my 30s. So, yeah. Well, which is probably about right. Yeah. What, what do you yeah. do at 15 with this movie? <laughs> uh, I mean, I loved it. I loved it at the time. By the Did time you? I saw it, you know, it came out on DVD like the next year. Yeah. And um, I was impressed with it right away. But certainly it's something that has, I, I understand it much more now. Sure. And um, 
yeah, my my appreciation for it has only grown with age. So yeah, but it was a movie where I was going with that was it was a movie at the time, and I don't know how much you were keeping up with stuff as a sophisticated fifteen year old that you were probably keeping up with it pretty well. But it was its legend was so large. Oh, before it yes. was even released. Yeah, because it was. Kubrick's follow-up to, I guess, Full Metal Full Jacket. Metal, 12 years. Yeah, 12 years. Yeah. He had, you know, all these dumb stories about him being in seclusion. <laughs> exactly. Which, if you talk to Kubrick, he was like, I was in seclusion. I was like, living my life and working on stuff. And, yeah, he basically, I was watching. But he wasn't a hermit. Yeah, I was like watching some, some documentary stuff yesterday, and one of his uh, daughters put it really well. She was like, he talked to everybody. He just didn't talk to the press. But right. like. That's the he press was still for a you. person, you he's know. A most hermit he's most not doing people interviews. don't talk to the press, so it's just yeah. like he was just like a normal person. Yeah, know? I remember Terrence Malick when uh, before he started making a lot of movies again in a mm-hmm. row. Yeah, they asked him. I think it was right around Thin Red Line what he had been doing, and he said, "You know, there's really something to be said for not making movies." Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, he had a whole life yeah. between you know Days of Heaven and uh, yeah. But you get all you get the sense from the press for, with the people like Malick and Kubrick that they're these weirdos hold, yeah, hold up yeah. in a castle somewhere. Exactly, exactly. And like the, you know, to be fair, like the, the lack of communication from their side yeah. just fuels sure. speculation and so on, which is fine, but, yeah. sure, you they know. just like, fuck off. It's like, <laughs> you know, there were there were stories of people in London, for instance, who would pose as Kubrick, who would, you know, oh, go yeah. around and, and introduce themselves as Stanley Kubrick and sometimes they would be believed. There's like a whole movie made yeah, based on this premise. Right. With uh, John Malkovich playing yeah, yeah, the impersonator yeah. called Color Me Kubrick. Right. Yeah. Did you see that? I didn't see it. I never saw it. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but the legend of this movie was so great. And at the time, it was Kubrick's big movie comeback. And uh, the legend of the of the movie was so large going into it that I remember when I went to see it, there was so much anticipation. Yeah. Because it was the longest film shoot in history. Yeah. And it it brought Tom and Nicole to the brink. Yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. Of their marriage and yeah. of their life and their sanity and like, you just heard all these rumors and stories and finally I remember sitting in the theater just being like, I have no idea what I'm about to <laughs> exactly, see. Exactly. Yes. And I think when I saw it, I was a little disappointed, but have have since grown to love it sure, more. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But it's, it was because of the buildup. Yeah. Think. Exactly. It's not the movie that you know, anybody really thought they were going to get necessarily. Yeah. Um, and there were all these rumors during the production because, like, Harvey Keitel was originally going to be in it. Right. And I mean, they they shot with Keitel. Yeah, yeah, and he just, like, tapped out, didn't he? Yeah, I think, you know, depending on, like, what source you're looking at, some put it down to just the fact that the, the shoot went on for so long uh-huh. because they started shooting, I think, in November 96, and they wrapped in like May of '98, I want to say. And it was it's supposedly a six month shoot to begin with. Yeah, which yeah, is a laugh. And so, you know, it, it's Kubrick, so you kind of have to be available the whole time mm-hmm. because he's shooting scenes, and then four weeks later, he looks at the edit of it and mm-hmm. says, "Oh, I feel like we didn't get that the way I wanted it to. Let's do it again." You yeah. know. So, you know, some of the explanation that has been given is just that. It was a schedule conflict thing. Mm-hmm. These are working actors. They have to sure. go out and make a living. They can't, you know, they're not Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman who can afford to, like, do a movie for yeah. not a ton of money probably for, like, 18 months or something. Yeah, he um, – well, I pulled this great – did you read the Vanity Fair uh, article, by the way? I did not – well, not not recently anyway. I've probably read it before. But. It's, it was 15 years later, so I guess it was about four years ago. Okay, I have not read um, this. The great Amy Nicholson, who is co-host to the Unspooled podcast, which mm-hmm. I love. Um, hoping to get Amy on the show one day. But um, she wrote this great article uh, 15 years on 
kind of a look, a retrospective. And there's a lot of cool things in here I'm going to kind of pull out here and there. But um, it's insane the amount of time it took. Like, the, for instance, the... Uh, the scene with the with the sex worker uh, mm-hmm. Vanessa yeah Vanessa Shaw. Shaw she's great was supposed to be a couple of weeks <laughs> and they shot that scene for two months yeah that one that's scene. amazing like well, how it's do a do great that? scene but yeah I don't know how <laughs> I mean I think I think it is this this sort of Kubrick was was at a place where he was like doing iterations of scenes where you know it's not just that like the coverage took that long to shoot or something but it's it's that they probably did a whole version of it he cut it. And then looked at it and mm-hmm. thought, mm, let's let's do something different, you know. Yeah, even, had, even at the uh, level of changing things about the background, the lighting, you know. One, oh, right. one, one comment that I saw, um, it was somebody talking about, you know, the, the high number of takes Kubrick would do. And they said sometimes it wasn't at all about performance. Mm-hmm. It was just that he would look at the playback and then say that ashtray is like facing the wrong direction. Oh, God damn it. And it'd be like, okay, <laughs> give me one exactly like you just did, but we're going to fix that ashtray issue and go again, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, oh, man. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, to clear it up for the listeners, uh, Harvey Keitel was playing the Sidney Pollock role. Yeah. Yeah. Victor Ziegler. Who, or, yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, Sidney Pollock just. Oh. I love him so much as yes, an actor. Yes. I mean, he's such he was such a legendary director, but some of my favorite uh, Sidney Pollock work is as an actor. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, Husbands and Wives is yeah. one of my favorite yeah, roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Emily and I still quote that line in Husbands and Wives when he's got he's dating the younger girl at the party and she embarrasses him and he drags her out of there and he goes, you're a fucking infant. <laughs> <laughs> so we always oh, quote that man. line. But um, he said uh, – he said Sydney had the thing. He said the rest of us poor bastards were able to get 16 weeks of filming for 70 million with a 20 million dollar star. Somehow Stanley worked it where he could get 45 weeks of shooting for 65 million. Um, he just said he figured out a way to work in England for a fraction of uh, what we pay here. So yeah, I guess it's just he Kubricked it. It's just yeah, I think it's it's the same reason that people do like Malick's films where. Yeah. You know, George Clean will show up for like two lines and thin red line or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and with the possibility of being cut entirely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like what happened with Adrian Brody on that movie. So yeah, he wasn't in it, right? <laughs> barely, barely. Uh, and he was supposed to be the star. That's yeah. a whole other story. So interesting. And he didn't find out till the premiere. Oops. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I think Kubrick was in that very very rarefied air of director that actors will basically just say yes to yeah and sort of like move things around in their schedule do whatever it takes to basically get in a kubrick movie because i mean like we were saying it had literally been 12 years just about i mean when they started shooting it was 96 so full metal jacket came out in 87 so it's been mm-hmm. like nine years but still almost a decade since the last movie and yeah. just there's a lot of anticipation a lot of false starts and uh-huh. anticipation and yeah well cruz is on record he said uh, his quote from this article was uh I remember talking to Stanley, and I said, look, I don't care how long it takes, but I I have to know. Like, are we going to finish in six months? Like, I have people waiting. I have writers uh, waiting on other things. So I say, Stanley, I don't care. Like, just tell me it's going to be two years. And he wouldn't do it. <laughs> and so I think funny. that's part of the uh, – and, and Amy in this article, too, goes on to talk about the process of, you know, very famously, like in one scene where Tom Cruise walks through a doorway. Mm-hmm. He had him do that 95 times. <laughs> and she said it was a, a – concerted effort on Kubrick's part to break them down yeah. to nothing. Yeah. So they would have to build back up again and forget that they were working on a movie essentially, that they were so sort of yeah. crazed and tired. Well, there is like an amazing kind of home movie quality to Eyes Wide Shut 
um, even though you're working with like two of the biggest movie stars in the world yeah. and it's this highly anticipated project, just the way that Kubrick pared down the size of his crew, the, oh, way, really? the way he was shooting with, you know, um, not available light. I would never say that about his approach, but yeah. certainly we, we'll get into more of this later, but the way the movie's lit, it's it's a lot of practicals. It's a lot of... It was lit by Christmas tree. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So... <laughs> so beautiful. You know, it, it 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 has this very, like, even even in terms of, like, the, the amount of grain that's present in the image, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's 35, but it feels almost like 16 sometimes because it is a little bit noisier than yeah. we're accustomed to seeing in, like, a big budget movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's, like, a real, like, handmade quality to this film, I think. Yeah. That gives it that... that Super personal, super kind of, like I said, handmade quality. Well, and I think there, I didn't see a ton of like uh, Kubrick's known for those just super long tracking shots mm-hmm. and dolly shots. Yeah, there's not a lot of that in there. There's like some steady cam, but that's about it. Yeah, I don't think he ever does a little bit any, of like, handheld, but not I mean, much. There's there's like a handful of dolly shots when it's like Tom Cruise walking down the street, and there's those shots mm-hmm. that are where the camera is kind of parallel to him. Yeah. Um. But yeah, other than that, it's it's just about all. Either very very um, cleanly done handheld yeah. kind of operation or steady cam or tripod. Yeah, yeah. I know the handheld is uh, most notable to me in the scene, the the really long scene where uh, I know that doesn't narrow it down, but the really long <laughs> scene with Nicole Kidman. The argument, yeah, yeah, the, the fight scene that yeah. really kind of sets up his yeah. whole uh, left turn into yeah. the, his weird weird night. <laughs> yes, um, there's a lot of handheld in that and that scene. That scene is long and should have been long and mm-hmm. fits, and she's so good. Yeah, when she's, like, doubling over with laughter, the way the camera oh just God. pans down, and it's the operation's incredible because yeah. it's, like, her timing and the way the camera just follows her immediately, they're, uh-huh. like, perfectly in sync. Yeah. And you can tell that probably took who knows how many takes or days to get that. Well, and then right. with her performance, like, knowing that she did that God knows how yeah, many times. Yeah, and still feels completely fresh. And, so real. Yeah. And uh, Cruz, I think, in that scene, he gets he got hammered in the press, and I, I didn't realize how widely his performance was panned. But um, I thought, I mean, listen, Tom Cruise is a world class flake when it comes to Scientology and things like that, right? Right. But I think the guy is a a legendary actor. Oh yeah, and an yeah. amazing actor. And if you look as much at, as I hate to admit it sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look at his great. performance in like Magnolia from right around the same time. Yeah. Like Frank he can he can bring that <laughs> that that realness and that intensity and so on. Yeah. Um and really kind of disappear into a character and play against type and all that kind of stuff. Um he he's completely capable of doing that. So I think you know, whatever else you can say about Eyes Wide Shut or about his character, his performance, and so on, like, it's exactly as it was intended by Kubrick. Yeah, you know? like, Dr. Bill is a very reserved guy. Yeah, like, he's, yeah. he doesn't outwardly emote much. No. There's a lot going on in his being. He's meant to be kind of an everyman, kind of just an average guy yeah. in a way. Although he's, he's you know, he is a doctor. He's, like, upper middle class, but he at the same time, He wields that doctor like, card like a badge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, so at, funny. you know, at the same time, he kind of... Um, you know, he goes home, he sits down on the couch, he watches football and has like a Budweiser, like, yeah. which to me, <laughs> those shots are always so funny to me because I don't completely buy Tom Cruise as that, no. Every exactly time, as that like, guy. Both times that he opened the Budweiser yeah, can, yeah. I was like, come on, yeah, he's not doing that. But um, but that is his character. That's that's what Kubrick is, is kind of going for, is like this sort of 
just middle of the road, yeah. you know, very mainstream kind of guy. Which is weird that he cast Tom Cruise. Yeah, and that yeah. was probably part of it. Well, that, that was always his kind of idea, I think, um, was to work with these, you know, somebody that was super well-known. Like, even the character's name, Harford, mm-hmm. was, you know, basically a reference to Harrison Ford. Oh, really? Um, not, not that he wanted to cast Harrison Ford, uh-huh. but just this idea of, like, leading man, you know, somebody who can, like, mm-hmm. hold a movie and is, like well-known to people uh, as this Hollywood kind of royalty. Yeah. But at the same time is going to be put in this role and kind of play against type. And Yeah, yeah. he doesn't do a lot of... Uh, he's so into... I mean, I think the Mission Impossible series is pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like he's sort of only playing those roles now. Yeah, he's kind of like... He had that more kind of, you know, take me seriously as an actor phase. Yeah. And it does seem like now he's kind of moved beyond that where he's more interested in maybe... Like doing the practical stunts himself, and I wonder you know, if it's because he's getting like older. And he's like, "This is my last shot." Yeah, yeah. And then I'll have maybe, a, yeah, maybe a final we'll third get, where yeah. we go back to you that know. would be incredible. Actually, I'd love to see that for him to like kind of do like a light, uh, late life, yeah, turn back to like he's gonna have heavy to. serious drama kind of roles. He can't keep jumping off a of building. True, yeah. You know, breaking his <laughs> breaking his legs. Yeah, uh, and it also dawned on me like Nicole Kidman, she has become. One of the best actors of oh, her she's generation. Fantastic! Yeah. Like when you look at her body of work, and especially lately, yes, she is just in great movie after great movie now. Yeah, you know, one of my favorites of hers um, is Birth. Have you seen Birth? Jonathan no. Glazer film. No, that's that's almost another one like a to do like an episode or something about. But um, it's very Kubrickian, uh-huh. and it it has this incredible scene of Nicole Kidman sitting down in the audience at like a opera performance, um, and it's it starts on this extremely wide shot and it's a slow Kubrickian zoom all mm. the way into a close up of her face, and you're hearing the music. There's no dialogue, but you're seeing these emotions play out over her face, unbroken take. Oh wow! And you see this entire emotional transformation and realization and yeah. reckoning, and she breaks out into tears, and it's it's one of the you know greatest like yeah. single shot performances of any actor I can think of. Oh, wow. Yeah. You check that she's, out. She's amazing. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to 
bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. So this movie is about, it's about marriage yeah, and fidelity. Yeah, a lot, yeah. But it kind of hit me more than ever last night. It's really about sex mm. in almost every way. Yeah. Like every character in this movie almost. They're driven by some that. Some sort of sexual yeah. transaction. Yes. Or sexual tension. Yeah. Happening. And, and obviously with the. The the <laughs> Illuminati uh, yeah, or, yeah, orgy yeah. fuck party yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the obvious thing. But yeah. like the Alan Cumming is the hotel desk clerk. He's hitting on him hard. Is just yeah. like eating him alive with his eyes. Yeah. And the two women, the two models at the mm-hmm. party early on yeah. are just writhing and like it's so sexual. Yes. Like they're practically dry humping yeah. him yeah, yeah, yeah. in this party. Yeah. And the guy, the the bear and the, the Hungarian, the Hungarian yeah. whatever yeah. is. Emily last night, by the way, does not love this movie. Uh-huh. She just kept yelling things at, at the screen while I was watching it. But she was like, dude, get out of her fucking face. <laughs> like, he's just so predatory. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The whole movie is, like, it, when he rents the costume, that could have just been a very simple costume. Right, rental. right. But Yet it's a whole other whole thing with crazy the daughter, thing, the daughter, yeah. Pimping out the daughter, these yeah. Asian uh, mm-hmm. guys in drag. Yeah, 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 just yeah. Just sex everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, even even the the patient's house that he goes to, uh-huh. and she confesses, yeah, you know, supposedly that she has this that love for him. him. Yeah, and he's like, "What are you talking and about?" He's like, "I don't even we we've <laughs> never we've never had a conversation outside of your well, father's health." You let know? me ask you something with that character mm-hmm. later in the movie after, I, I think it's. Oh, he calls again. Yeah. And I'd forgotten about that well, scene. I did too. What is that? Is he trying to reach her? Yeah, I think he's. I think Why? he's sort of like I've struck out here, here, here. Is that the deal? And he's kind of like, well. I you know I've got this other kind of like iron in the fire I could maybe rekindle and because is that yeah. your take is that he has uh, once he learns that he about Nicole Kidman's story mm-hmm. about the naval officer yeah yeah and that even though nothing happened right. he is not the center of her life yeah he's is been, he trying his to get whole laid worldview has been rocked yeah and I think yeah I think you know I I don't know if he's like single mindedly. If that's the only thing that's motivating him is is to go out and have sex with somebody, revenge but, sex. But but it is it's definitely 
a, a strong element that's mixed up in there where he's trying to sort out his feelings of jealousy and betrayal and yeah. you know just just like he was he was so secure in uh-huh. what he thought was you know his marriage and yeah. his relationship and so on and and to have that that certainty just completely demolished yeah man um, in the root like if yeah. you men he, only knew he just doesn't know what to do with that he line. doesn't he doesn't know how to handle it so yeah um i do think that was his motivation for calling back and then of course when it's the boyfriend that comes yeah. to the phone in that second uh scene um which pulled me out by the way because that fucking guy from dharma and greg oh yeah like that, yeah, that, yeah, that'll, yeah that'll date a movie yeah 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 like, that's oh, true that guy. <laughs> oh, i didn't i didn't i didn't recognize him but now that you say it i totally get yeah yeah that is him yeah uh so she tells him that she had this fantasy of this naval officer. Yeah. Kind of destroys his world because he very sort of, I don't know if it was cocky, but just very confidently was like, well, of course I know you've never cheated on me. Yeah. I think that's what bothers her is that he is so sure of it. Yeah. That it shows in a way, even though what he's trying to say, I think, is that he trusts her. Mm-hmm. He has confidence in her. He, he just wholly believes that she would never do anything to hurt him in that way. Right. But there's still kind of like, you still want to have that one or 2% of like a little bit of jealousy just because it shows that you care in some way, you know? Well, and it's also the message he sort of delivers is like, you are not a sexual creature except through me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know, men, yeah, we all know what men are like. Yeah. You know, because you're a beautiful woman, therefore he definitely would have wanted to sleep with you. Uh That's like the only possible motivation a man would have yeah, to like yeah. hit on you, talk to you, or whatever. Um, he's like, that's what men are like. But you know, women are different. They're uh-huh. he doesn't say this, but the implication is like they're more maternal, they're mm, more domestic, right. they're more like, you know, their their sexuality is not so like wide open as a man's is. And she yeah. wants to tell him, like, don't be so sure of yourself. Like, um, because this thing happened. Yeah, because this thing happened, and and, and I really wanted nothing it to came happen. of it. But I, yeah. you know, if if things had gone a little differently, maybe maybe it would have happened. And she still remembered it, however many years later. Yeah, and that's yeah. what drives his like every action from that point forward. He's yeah. obsessed with this. Yeah, and and I should mention that the one part of this movie that I really still don't like was the uh, the flashback to the naval officer. I, I agree. I the way he shot it was I agree. just very, it dates it. It looks very 90s. Yeah. It's just like not the, the um, what do you call that method? The step printing, I guess. Yeah. The kind of the, you know, it's shot at like 12 frames a second or something like that. Yeah, you know? it just so didn't it's got fit that Stanley Kubrick style kind of, at all. To me, it's kind of like the the best way I can like sort of rationalize it, I guess, is that he's trying to visualize the kind of, um, I don't know, old-fashionedness of these visions that Tom Cruise is having. Yeah. That he's having these very almost kind of – because, you know, it's – I guess we'll talk about the source a little bit, but it's based on this, like, 1920s, you know – Oh, I know nothing about this. Novel um, by Arthur Schnitzler, which is set in the Vienna in, like, the 19th century. Oh, interesting. So it's – you know, you've got kind of, like, Freud. You've got kind of – um, repressed sexuality playing yeah. in there quite a bit more. And I think it's something, the the reason those those shots of the naval officer Nicole Kidman are so kind of like corny feeling, yeah. I think is almost that he's going for this kind of old-timey feel. But I agree, it's completely, you know, that's that's not what, you know, 
uh, like an American man in the 1990s would envision. You know, yeah. it would be like softcore porn or something. Right. You know, would would be more the the visual style to go for. Yeah, and, and evidently uh, Kubrick, you know, rather purposely tried to uh, fuck with Tom and Nicole's marriage during that that scene, especially. Yeah, but not and, allowing Tom to be on set. Yeah, didn't let him be on set. Yeah. Wouldn't allow her to say what happened, and then. Uh, evidently when they shot it spent a couple of weeks yes for what ended up being seconds of flashback yeah 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 where he put them in, it said in more than 50 erotic positions <laughs> and just like this is I think where all of the Kubrick thing came to such a head of him being a manipulator mm-hmm. as a director yeah uh, because they they suffered and they both are on record in this Vanity Fair article about uh, how it really the lines became blurred and yeah. it really did fuck with their marriage yeah yeah um yeah something i was watching last night uh, nicole kidman talks about what what really excites her about performance as like an actor and she said it is those moments where the line between your personal life yeah. and your in your character start to blur and you mm-hmm. can't see that line anymore she said it's a very exciting thing it's also a very dangerous thing yeah yeah. And Cruz, uh, well, well, here's the deal. Everyone knows Tom Cruise is, um, like, regardless of what you think of his talents, he is one of, he is one of the hardest working actors. Absolutely. At his craft. Yes. He is, is very well known for just, uh, and it's not just like, hey, I do my own stunts, but like, we'll do anything yeah. to, to nail his part. Yes. And now he's working with, the master of yeah. all time, yeah. but not necessarily known for being the master director of actors. Right, right. And he wanted to please him so much. Yeah. He got an ulcer during the filmmaking, but yeah. would not tell Kubrick about it. Yeah, yeah. Because he didn't want to give him that. Yeah. And then Todd Field, um, who's great in this movie, is Also had an ulcer. Or I think Todd Field's ulcer came later when he was dealing with the studio on um, either Little Children or In the Bedroom. Yeah, where did he go? Those were great. I movies. know, I love those both of those films, and he's a great actor in this movie too. I really enjoy his his performance. Um, but I, I distinctly remember reading about uh, Todd Field having to go back and forth with maybe it was Harvey Weinstein or somebody, but oh, really? it was kind of a, a nightmare producer scenario, and yeah. he just got like a massive ulcer from the stress of of that situation. Well, he as a as a director, he certainly knows what he's talking about. But he said that um, he said. You've never seen two actors more completely subservient and prostrate themselves at the feet of a director Ooh. than Tom and Nicole did. Yeah. And and I believe it that it was working with Kubrick and there were rumors already that this could be his final picture. Mm-hmm. And I think Tom and Nicole were at a place where they like you said, they could he could afford to take off that yeah. time and not yeah. make another he probably lost twenty million. Out on, yeah. Well, yeah. probably two times twenty yeah. million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the time it took. Right, right. Um, but I could see them uh, being just like, "We'll do a thousand takes, Stanley." Yeah. If that's yeah. what you want. Yeah. Because you're a genius. Yeah. <laughs> and he was. It's like, oh man, I've got these two. Yeah. I could so fuck with them, and I am going to. I was reading or listening to something where the cinematographer Larry Smith said something to the effect of, uh, "Kubrick didn't do as many." repetitive takes on this film as he had on other films. Oh, interesting. Maybe because Tom and Nicole were more prepared than usual. Um, yeah, he said that some scenes would take two hours and some would take two weeks. But, hmm. um, but there, you know, Kubrick had maybe backed off a little bit on that sort of uh, 
almost compulsive oh, really? urge to like, huh. um, you know, at least at least on certain scenes anyway. Right. And then know? others, he walks through a door. Of course. Times. Yeah. You know, we talked about how um, on Barry Lyndon, you know, Leon Vitale only had to do the vomiting scene once, you know. Oh, right, right. So it could be it could be something like that where he he just caught such a natural reaction mm-hmm. of Tom or Nicole that he was like, we're never going to do that better. Let's right. move on. But I still need you to walk through the door 95 times or whatever. Is yeah. uh, Vitaly's in this too, right? He's the red cloaked mastermind of the, of okay. the ceremony. Of so the he's, remove your clothes. Exactly, yeah. He's the one who speaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ask for the second password and all that. Yeah. yeah. All right, we'll, we'll get to yeah, that yeah, stuff because, yeah. goddamn, man. Yeah. What a, what a <laughs> interesting turn that movie took. I know, right? So, uh, Sidney Pollock, I, I love it at the beginning of this movie. He's at this Christmas party, oh. and then the next thing you know, he's he's with a, a sex worker yeah. who's shooting up a speedball yep. in the upstairs room. Yep. And she's like basically dead. And Tom Cruise she's re- ODing, yeah. re- revives her just yeah. by saying, you know, open your eyes. Look yeah, at me. yeah, Mandy, open your eyes. Yeah, which is kind yeah. of interesting. But uh, God, Pollock is so good. He's, I mean, I, I love Harvey Keitel, but I'm so happy that it ended up being Pollock in this film because yeah. Pollock just has that like Hollywood royalty. Uh-huh. He's 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 very charismatic. He's very like he's somebody that you know you would feel completely comfortable like letting him watch your kids or something. Yeah. But at the same time, he also has this kind of like he's played so many roles where he's like the older kind of corporate guy yeah. or whatever who like knows where all the bodies are buried. And, yeah. But but in a very nice way uh-huh. at the same time. So he's such a wonderful stand-in for kind of what I think Kubrick is is kind of gesturing towards, which is this idea of like old money, old power, old yeah. kind of like just like the American aristocracy kind of. He's like the perfect symbol yeah. of that. Whereas Keitel, I think, is a little more eccentric, a little more like un- yeah. uncontrollable and, you know, just, just wouldn't... Not as stable for sure. Yeah, yeah. He, I don't think he would really read nearly as well in that in that part. Yeah. And while I'm thinking about also, um the other actor that was either replaced or had to leave, Jennifer Jason Lee, was going oh. to play the daughter of the um patient who passes oh, away, okay. who confesses her love to uh Tom Cruise. Yeah, I didn't know that actor who played her in this. I don't I don't know that she's done yeah, I'm I'm not familiar with her either. The, she looked a little unhinged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's just interesting. Those those two, you know, yeah. didn't didn't make it through the production. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, but going back to to Sidney Pollock and, and the party and all that. Yeah. Well, I think he after the the big night out. Yeah. Which we'll talk about in greater detail. Yes. Yes. He comes back, and the whole next thirty minutes or so is him sort of trying to undo the things. Or like he literally goes and checks in on every kind of retraces his footsteps. Yeah. The night before, like he, but now he, it's daytime. He finds out Nick Nightingale. Yep. He believes has been abducted and yep. killed. Yep. He finds out that, uh, which is funny too, because Alan coming in that scene, he's like, <laughs> yeah. did you notice anything weird? And he's like, well, just these nine things. Funny, funny you should ask because <laughs> yeah. actually, you know, he had a black eye and he had these, he, these he intimidating scared. guys around him and they whisked him away <laughs> and they so said, funny. you know, we're going to forward his mail and all this kind of stuff. And Tom Cruise is being flirty back in that scene. Yeah, yeah. I think because he, he wants kinda, to get what he wants. Exactly, yeah. And he, he knows that this guy's just like, you know, licking him up and down with yeah. his eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I say licking or looking? Uh, he sounded like he said licking, Probably actually. Probably either one. Yeah. Um, but he finally gets to Sidney Pollock. Once he finds out that the woman from that OD that mm-hmm. tried to help him at the party he goes to the hospital and dead. sees her in the morgue, yeah. And Sidney Pollock's like, first of all, like, you don't want to be asking questions. Mm-hmm. And second of all, like, nothing is wrong. Yeah. 
Yeah. Nick Nightingale's with his family. She just OD'd. He's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Yeah. He's like, you've been way out of your depth for the last 24 hours. Yeah, but I don't know what to trust, though, as yeah. a viewer still. Well, I think that's um, that's deliberate on Kubrick's part. Yeah. I, I, I really became way more conscious of the kind of dual reading you could have of, like, the last 15 to 20 to 30 minutes of this movie. Is Nick Nightingale dead? Is Nick Nightingale he dead? He, maybe he is. Maybe because Tom Cruise doesn't have, like, a phone number you can call on yeah. that. So... Maybe he really is back in Seattle, you know, with Miss Nightingale, uh-huh. or maybe he's not, you know. Uh, and maybe they OD'd the woman. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I because could see all that happening. Somebody somebody pointed out that, um, you know, when Sidney Pollack is talking about that in particular, he's like, hey, the door was locked from the inside. The police are happy. There's nothing right. to see here. It's like— He doesn't quite say why, we didn't Why does do Sidney Pollack know the circumstances of the scene quite yeah. so well? Like, if, the, the, the rest of that sentence could very well have been— because we came in through exactly, the window. Exactly, and exactly. Yes, yes. <laughs> so there's that. Um, you know, there's there's uh, when you know, as as Tom Cruise is going to leave, Sidney Pollock says something to the effect of, "But of course, you know, life goes on. Yeah, until it doesn't. You know that, right, Bill? You know, yeah. you know that better than everybody. You're a doctor. Is that a threat? It's a threat. I think. Yeah. Oh, well, that's the thing. But he's he's smiling and I he's know, and he's man. happy when he says it. But he's Sidney Pollock. He claps. Him. <laughs> Tom Cruise on the shoulder yeah. and Tom like flinches. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know, uh he's facing away from him and he makes this face like yeah. he might have he might have been expecting a knife or something. Yeah. So and of course the very next thing you see is the mask sitting on ne- the pillow next to Nicole Kidman. Right, with the implication that she found it where he had hit it or That's not. That's the thing. Or did someone place it there? It's so carefully constructed the what they say, what they don't say, yeah. how they react to everything. You could read the scene Probably in more than two ways, but it, the, the, the two that jump out to me are either he forgot the mask somewhere in the apartment, she found it, and knows, you know, not not exactly what happened, but she has some idea that yeah. he hasn't been telling her the truth about where he's been going at night, you yeah. know? So she's put it up there on the pillow as like a, an accusation. That's one right. reading. The other reading, of course, is that this secret society yeah. has broken into their apartment, <laughs> put the thing while on the pillow she while slept, she's asleep, which is so fucking just creepy. as a as a kind of like poke to yeah. say, we know where you live. We we have access to your family. Yeah. Anything can happen to you if you keep pushing on this thing. Yeah. So just forget about it. Because he had gotten that letter. That, yeah. You know, or yeah, basically yeah. said Give that. up your inquiries, which are, which are worthless. Yeah, which are worthless and, anyway. Uh, and just go away. Go back to your little life, you know. Oh, and those dudes, since we're on that. Oh, the, yeah. That face, the, the guy. Yeah, the yeah. henchmen's, the guy that delivers the letters, the two gentlemen that uh, greet him as he arrives at the party at the gate, like, so Kubrick. Yes. They only exist in the world of Stanley Kubrick. Absolutely, yeah. Because in any other movie, they would be these big, like, muscly henchmen. Yeah, yeah. But in Kubrick's, they're like these 60-something-year-old yeah. British men yeah. who look like they've killed a thousand men. Which is, it's very, like, takes me back to, like, The Shining or something. Absolutely. You know, um, which, you know, I mean, it's, this is this is getting off track a little bit, but I think this movie has a lot of connections thematically with The Shining, with the idea of yeah. the Overlook Hotel representing some kind of, like, older power that's been around for generations, yeah. you know, not only in America, but in England as well. Yeah. The kind of, like, colonial empire power. Um, and I think, I think, you know, when, when he's giving them the tour of the Overlook Hotel and he says, all the best people stayed here. Yeah, yeah. Like... Sidney Pollock's character is also, quote unquote, all the best people. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's that same class of like 
the 1%, what do you want to call them, you know? Yeah, Kubrick um, loves that world. Yeah, and, and Barry like, Lyndon, yeah. very much the same thing, where it's like, you, you see him ascending the ranks and starting to rub elbows with these people, uh-huh. and um, uh, again, like in Barry Lyndon, even though he's risen to a certain level by marriage, he still kind of has his low status mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the kind of final view of things, because he doesn't have a title, he doesn't have proper ownership of yeah. this of this estate. And so when he is introduced in that one scene to the king, all the king says to him is just kind of like, good, raise up a company, go, go fight the American yeah. rebellion, you know? Um, and, uh, and it's like to the king, he's, he's nothing, you mm-hmm. know? And even though he has status relative to his, like his servants and so on, yeah. he's ultimately a nobody in the bigger, in the grand scheme. Yeah. And it's the same with Tom Cruise yeah. in Eyes Wide Shut, where it's like, He's a doctor. He has this nice apartment. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, his his status as a doctor does kind of grant him access to, he can move in the world, you know? Well, that's what I'm saying. He yeah. flashes that doctor like card around. It's like, like a, a detective. Yeah, you know? like a badge. Like, um, well, I'm a doctor. I mean, that you know, the I think, um, like, writers have talked about, especially the, the detective story, as a way for a character to kind of traverse the whole spectrum yeah. of, like, from the upper crust to the underclass, you know? Yeah. Uh, they can move throughout these different worlds, and it's a way for writers to kind of depict the whole kind of uh, variety of, of people and statuses yeah. and classes in society. Um, the, 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 his sort of medical license is right. kind of like his version of the badge in, in Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. He's able to, you know, he's able to check in on a body at the morgue, but he's also able to, like, get a costume right. at three in the morning. You know, yeah, like, know. he so can, it, it allows him to kind of move through society. But ultimately, when he comes into conflict with somebody who has real power, right. the Sidney Pollock character, he is, like, put in his place very quickly. Yeah, and feels like a pawn. Yeah, in a, which he is. Yeah, in a larger game that he has no idea even about. He didn't even know it existed. Yeah. You know, he just catches this glimpse at like this whole other subterranean world that yeah. he had no idea existed. And, you know, when in, in the in the final scene of the film where, where Nicole Kidman, or I think Tom Cruise says Nicole Kidman. We're in the toy store? Yeah, in the yeah. toy store. He's, he's like, what are we going to do? Yeah. Which again, could be either about what are we going to do in our marriage? Mm-hmm. Are we going to stay together? Are we going to split up? That's how I read it. Or what are we going to do? We've been threatened. They've been in our apartment. Uh, well, they know he who tells we are. Her everything. Yeah. yeah, he tells her everything. And um, you really could read it either way of like, was it a dream? Was it reality? Yeah. Is the is the reality of one night, what is that next to an entire lifetime in yeah. a committed relationship versus what is the reality of one night where you are exposed to this creepy, yeah. you know, secret society versus the world you've known the rest of your life, yeah. you know, was that real? Was that imagined? Um, was there really a sacrifice? Was there not? Yeah. He's he's really playing on this kind of duality of like dream versus reality on yeah. multiple levels. And again, like I said, they don't they don't tip their hand as to exactly what it is they're talking about in those final scenes, which yeah, is for sure. really really well done. Well, I think for Nicole, she's talking about she t- takes it as the marriage. Mm-hmm. I think for sure, because uh, it very famously ends with, you know, what, there's one important thing we have to do. Yeah, what's that? Fuck. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> fuck is the last word in any Kubrick film. You know, it's like the cap on the careers. Yeah, again fuck. with the, the sexuality. I mean, uh, not only with all the characters, but at one point he's driving in the in the taxi and just looks out the window and sees that couple. Like looking like they're about to have sex yeah, on the street. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just everywhere. It's just mm-hmm. soaked through this movie. Yeah. And right after he uh, 
right after Nicole, you know, tells him the big story with the big fight, which, by the way, it's like, I don't think you have to be married to get that, but that was such a marriage thing to, like, get in a fight, to almost pick a fight because just, like, because you feel like fighting. Well, it's like when Tom Cruise has that great line. He's like, what have we been doing? Exactly. He's like, I don't even know what we're arguing about. She's like, we're not arguing, you know? That is marriage to a T sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just... Take it out on the person closest to you, wh- whatever mood you're feeling. Most of the time. And that's, that's sort that's of what sees happened. the worst of you. Yeah. <laughs> but this sends him out. Um, well, he does get the call to go see. Uh, yeah, it is true. He gets like a character. nudge. He does have to go out. Like, it's, but it's, he, he doesn't just leave. He leaps at the chance, yes, though. Yes. Yes. When this sex worker on the street basically says, mm-hmm. you want to come upstairs? Yeah. Which, by the way, I wasn't even totally convinced she was a sex worker. It, oh, I think she was. Was she? Yeah. Because I, I so. almost was like, for some reason last night when I saw it, mm-hmm. it had the read to me of she just thought he was cute, asked mm-hmm. him upstairs, and then all of a sudden it became a money transaction. No, because I think, you know, when she's – she does kind of like approach him on the street. Yeah, And true. she's using coded language because, you know, he – Like you want to come upstairs. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, you, you want to come inside. I live right around here. Yeah. Um. We could like go inside and get more comfortable, something like that. It's warmer in there than it is out here. Yeah, that's true. I think, I think, but I mean, she has to this me, roommate. it reads as, yeah, she has a roommate, but I think they're both sex workers probably. Oh, okay. Or maybe, I, that's how I read it anyway. That that also, I mean, the Vanessa Shaw character, she might also be like a student. Um, there's, there's like a whole other, this is like a, a bigger topic we can get into more later, but um, – when Tom Cruise takes the phone call from Nicole Kidman, yeah. he walks over by uh, Vanessa Shaw's like bookshelves, and there's this book facing out that says "Introducing Sociology." Yeah, yeah, and I, um, I should mention that uh, "Introducing Sociology" is also the name of a fantastic essay on Eyes Wide Shut by a critic, Tim Kreider, K R E I D E R, which you can find if you just Google "Introducing Sociology Kubrick," it should come up. Um, but it a lot of this kind of uh, class-based analysis of the movie um, comes from that essay. And so I definitely want to encourage anyone who's interested in this kind of line of thinking about the film to, to check that out because it's uh, one of the best pieces of writing on this film I think I've ever encountered. So I think the idea is that maybe she's like a student at NYU, but she's also doing this on the side, right. pay for tuition, you know. <laughs> maybe so. Because um, that's what it feels like. They feel, yeah. She feels like a couple of I don't think. Yeah, students. I don't think she's like – you know, she doesn't read as like a, a sort walker. of tragic streetwalker that's yeah. like hooked on drugs or something like that. She she still seems like she's kind of, you know, somewhat educated, somewhat like from probably a middle class kind of background. But she has she's she's chosen this line of work, right? Or maybe for, that's for one just how Kubrick portrays the sex worker. It in could his be, world. yeah, yeah. Uh, but when he comes back, to it's interesting when he comes back the next day and he's kind of retracing his steps. There is like a negative consequence. On everything. Like, yeah. he goes back to see her. First of all, he walks in in a very bizarre scene, just meets this roommate. Yeah. And is practically having sex with her. Yeah, yeah, within yeah. Within a minute. Yeah. He's like, there's just this crazy tension going on. Which is why I, I took it to mean that she was also potentially a sex worker and that she had heard from her roommate that. Really handsome doctor. This is a really handsome guy, nice guy. Yeah, you rich. Know, we we didn't even have sex and he still paid me yeah, all yeah. this kind of stuff like that's that's probably she was probably charmed by him right. you know and so that's why i think and and the fact that tom cruise knows that she knows 
he was already there to pay for sex anyway. Right. I think kind of like it's he still an ice, hasn't gotten laid. It's like an icebreaker between the two of them. Yeah. Where it's like immediately sex is kind of on the table. It's yeah. like a possible thing because they're having that conversation about like she's out right now. I don't know when she's going to be yeah, back. You know, she may not come back at all. And like they're they're in that narrow time. kitchen, and she has to kind of scoot by him at the table. Yeah. And they're like just a couple inches apart. You oh know? yeah. They're kind of rubbing on each other. So. I you know the, the 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 sexual tension he cut with a knife for sure yeah yeah and then the the consequences overnight yeah uh, he learns that the the other uh, Vanessa Shaw is yeah. HIV positive yep. so it's this weird thing where it's like it's the movie is all about sex but there's always this negative consequence well that's the the Victorian kind of like um, you know nineteenth century like the the sort of like repressed yeah vibe you know, the kind of Freudian vibe of well like, which came from the source. Yeah, material, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like this idea that, I mean, that was that was kind of Kubrick's idea. I think was his his thesis was sort of that, you know, relationships, sexual relationships, romantic relationships had not perhaps changed so much mm-hmm. since that era that we we flatter ourselves sometimes as living in this like modern enlightened kind of world, but yeah. maybe it's a little more old school and kind of still like repressed and and kind of um you know just just not as modern or as sophisticated as we might think. Yeah, because his uh he's portrayed as sort of repressed, mm-hmm. not necessarily sexually, but like there's that one notable shot of or sequence of him uh doctoring and you know it goes from like a little kid to like an old lady to one of those <laughs> yeah. Kubrickian models, yeah, 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 um, naked, yeah, and it's all very just matter uh, of fact, mat- clinical, yeah, which is what he swears is the truth to mm-hmm. Nicole. Like, yeah, the last thing in my mind is ever this, and yeah. he portrays that on the screen, yeah. So that is the truth. It seems like, but apparently, a lot of stuff was cut out of the original script where he struggles with interesting the sexuality of his patients. Interesting. Um and there was a voiceover too that was cut out. Wow. Like a Tom Cruise voiceover that talked a lot about like how he was feeling. Interesting. Which I would be really interested to That's fascinating. See that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking about that sequence where you do see kind of like Tom Cruise going through his day at work. Yeah. That's also intercut with Nicole Kidman at home, largely, you know, yeah. Teaching her kid. Yep. Doing the um, mommy stuff. Doing the mommy stuff. Uh-huh. It's like all the domestic labor. And I think that's that's a really interesting kind of scene that because uh, I think it's a it's a very, very deliberate thing the movie is doing, showing that they're both working, even though she is, quote unquote, unemployed, even though she's right. a homemaker, mother, whatever, yeah. that they're both performing labor. They're both, you know, um, kind of playing a role in society and and that they're both kind of workers in in a certain sense yeah um and yeah i mean that that's a whole other uh thing just nicole kidman's place in the relationship as mm-hmm. somebody that has she had an art gallery but it went under right she's not working right now yeah um she's kind of like a kept woman she's kind of like the trophy wife or something uh-huh. um you know the first thing the first line of dialogue that tom cruise first first line by anybody in the movie is honey have you seen my wallet Right. So if you if you reduce it to that, when Tom Cruise is like naked. the wallet. He's the he's the uh, the the breadwinner, yeah. the, and so on. The provider. Um, oh, one of the one of the first things that. that Nicole Kidman says. I mean, she answers him. She says like it's on the bedside table. She has a few like incidental lines, but the first line she has when the camera com- follows Tom Cruise into the bathroom is, "How do I look?" 
Yeah. So it's like money and looks yep. are like the two defining aspects of, uh, yeah. of both these characters that she is her, – her kind of job, quote unquote, is to be beautiful uh-huh. and to kind of – Go to these parties. Go to these parties, raise his child, you know. Right. Um, and his job is go out, do the doctor thing, uh-huh. you know, provide this – big apartment and yeah you know that that is they're they're living in a very traditional old school kind of single income yeah family kind of style uh-huh. yeah yeah really interesting because like the mundane the mundaneness of that is stands in stark contrast yes. to this night that he has yeah exactly he's like he's coming from the most kind of cliche normal uh-huh. middle of the road average kind of existence yeah you know, I mean, they are living in New York City, so it's not like they're like in the suburbs or somewhere rural, which right. would maybe be a little bit more to that, you know, common lived experience. Yeah, but, it would have been a little on the nose. Yeah, but yeah. But I'm kind of surprised it wasn't like, you know, a Connecticut suburb. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So he's still, you know, he's a little more urban. Yeah. He's a little more like he, – he kind of moves in these like slightly more rarefied circles. But yeah. he's basically an upper middle class guy. Yeah. And uh, – but he, but he has access to – this, you know, more kind of rarefied air. Yeah, it's interesting. He's always um, he's always in a suit almost unless mm-hmm. he's like in bed or something. Yeah. But then that last bit uh, pre-toy store, that last next day scene basically yeah. after he breaks down and says, I'm going to tell you everything. Yeah. There's three things that you don't see at all in the movie up until that point. Uh you see a Christmas tree turned off mm, in the background. Interesting. And throughout the whole movie, they're just beaming with yeah, light, yeah. Color, colorful light. Yeah. Christmas tree's turned off. Nicole Kimmon has no makeup on. And her eyes are red from having from cried. crying. And he yeah. is not in a suit. He's wearing like a, a, a shirt and a sweater. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's – they never look more – their life never looks more ordinary. Yeah, yeah, than yeah, in that yeah. It's kind of stripped down – scene at the end, which yeah. I thought was really interesting. I love that. Yeah, I love the effect that he creates because he's going from one of the more hyper-stylized scenes in the whole movie, the way the bedroom is lit when, you know, when it's night and he comes home and the mask is on the bed. Yeah. And you have that amazing piano track. Oh, God. Yeah, that we need to single note, yeah. Um, ding! Yeah. Oh, terrifying. Ding, yeah. ding! Ding, 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 ding. It's really... It gets under your skin yeah, yeah. over two hours and 40 minutes or whatever. And him him breaking down and just weeping and saying, I'll tell you everything. I'll tell you everything. Yeah. And then that hard cut to Nicole Kidman, red-eyed, yeah. smoking. Looks like they probably have literally been up all night, you know, shooting this thing. Yeah. I mean, he reeks of exhaustion through the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. Because he like, – I don't even know if he – it never shows him going to sleep, does it? I mean, it seems like certainly that second night, it seems like neither one of them slept after yeah. he got home. Because he, he gets just, home at what? He said it was like 4 a.m. Yeah, yeah. And it's early morning. It's probably two, three hours later at that point. Yeah. And she says, you know, our kid's going to be up soon. We promised her we'd take her Christmas shopping. So we have to both kind of like get collect ourselves, you know, yeah. get our shit together and like present the outward appearance uh-huh. of like yeah. normal stable parents again. Is this a Christmas movie case? Yeah, it's a Christmas <laughs> it's a total Christmas movie. I think it's the Christmas movie actually. Well, let's talk about the lighting a little bit. Yeah. Um beautiful. I mean, I, I think Stanley Kubrick set it at Christmas just so he could use these lights. Well, I think this is derailing us a little bit from cinematography, but the choice of Christmas I think is extremely important All thematically right, as well. Just because what is Christmas? Christmas is this sort of like consumerist ritual that we have in American society. and, and but it's really and, a pagan holiday. Yeah, it's really a pagan roots. holiday. 
And, you know, on the one hand, it, it purports to be about Christianity, religion, sure. you know, uh, all that. But at the same time, it it plays such an important part in our economy where like the fourth quarter yeah. for retail especially is just like it, it is where you make your money for like the whole year yeah. kind of if you're in certain business. So sure. um, it's this duality of American society that we we put kind of like more of like a um, – a meaning on certain things, but yeah. underneath it, there is just this kind of like um, brute consumerist yeah. capitalist kind of thing happening. Um, and I think that's kind of a metaphor for like the whole film. If you yeah. think about it uh, uh, in terms of like um, just the, the, the performance of like the idea of like the masks that everybody wears, yeah. the, the metaphor of the mask at the orgy is, is just the most literal version right. of the mask that everybody is wearing sure. at different moments in their lives when they're performing, you know, when he's performing the role of a doctor as opposed to the role of a husband, as right. opposed to the role of a father or something. Yeah. You know, like when, when Sidney Pollack and his wife greet them as they come into the Christmas party, uh-huh. they're performing the role of this like, yeah. you know, uh, older married couple, very successful. You know, they, they probably have a whole kind of philanthropic kind of presence in the world where yeah. they're like at these award galas right. and, and so on, you know, giving to charities and so on. They probably have like a very respectable name and yeah, place yeah. in society. Oh, for sure. And then not 10 minutes later, he's, up he's upstairs with yeah. a hooker ODing <laughs> on a speedball and, you know, he's pulling up his pants and he's like, I know. this stays between us. It's like, <laughs> there's, there's, there's always multiple levels of reality happening at the same time. Yeah. And I think the Christmas is definitely a deliberate choice, not just for the kind of visual possibilities which it absolutely does afford oh, man, so but great. also because it does comment on it's it's a way of of extending that duality yeah. to like american society yeah i mean the lighting with the use of christmas the colored christmas lights on the trees uh all of them are colored lights and then those gorgeous walls yes. of string lights yes and uh pollock's apartment and then mm-hmm. even in, like it's so funny uh, so like over stylized, but the the costume shop yes is like so gorgeous oh, it's and like yeah. he has this almost museum and I feel like it was a little Barry Lyndon nod because yeah. there's that one outfit yes uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, on the mannequin like, yeah. from the colonial era or whatever yeah but uh it, it's such a like like this is not what a costume shop would look no, like no no upstairs well, in in the Greenwich yeah. Village and you could you could say the same about New York as a whole because you know yeah. getting well, back to Kubrick's kind of quote unquote reclusive yeah. style, he he refused after a certain point, reportedly, to like fly on airplanes. Yeah. Which whether he actually did or whether he just, just wanted to stay in England. Yeah, just wanted to say, I, I want to have a rock solid reason for why I can never fly to LA right. or something, you know. So I'll tell them I won't fly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean Kubrick got his pilot license at one point. So, you know, he he That's was funny. very familiar with aviation. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so it's not that he was averse to the idea of flying. It could just be that once he saw kind of how the sausage was made yeah. from a flying standpoint. In Hollywood, yeah. He didn't feel comfortable, you know, getting on a commercial plane where you don't know who's piloting the thing. He knows yeah. how much can go wrong or something. But Yeah, it's interesting, though. Like, he very famously recreated uh, Greenwich Village in uh, London mm-hmm. um, and sent – his assistants to yeah, like a whole second unit go to New York. Yeah. yeah, like apparently like measuring the distance between newspaper boxes. Yeah, to get it perfect, but it doesn't feel like New York though. No, like when I was watching it, and I think that I wasn't of, like some of it's London. Like the um, the uh, the scenes where you see 
again, where it's those tracking shots of Tom Cruise yeah. from the side walking down the street. Uh-huh. Apparently, some of that is actually like London streets. Right. Um, but it doesn't ever feel like New York. To yeah. Me. And when... Even, even though it's dressed up like New when, York. Even uh, when it's the straight on shots that are tracking back with Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. where you see the background, you know, behind him and he's directly facing camera. Uh, those are like rear projection plates yeah, that yeah. were actually shot on the street in actual New York. Yeah. But I think, you know, and Tom Cruise is just on a treadmill and they're and they're basically like, yeah. you know, they're projecting this image of... And the car scenes too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think Kubrick was going for a, for a deliberately stylized, deliberately dreamlike... I think so. It's New York, but it's not quite New York that's kind what of feeling. I, that's what I took from it last yeah. night because I was like, I've been to New York so much since I first saw this movie. Yeah. I was like, man, that's... You never see those It's so streets. not New yeah. York. Yeah. But uh, it gave it this off-kilter feel. Mm-hmm. Um, right down to like, you know, the gang of toughs. Yeah. That basically kind of yeah. call Tom Cruise gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, that's a very interesting scene. L- like it borders on a on a hate crime. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, and Cruise, you can tell is like I kind of want to, like to me, I was like yeah. Ethan Hunt these motherfuckers. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, it's so interesting because that's so that is so against his usual persona. Yeah, where he is the one who acts on the world and uh-huh. you know rises to, you know, a, a, kind of strike back against opposition and uh-huh. so on. But he had and to, in that one, he is just, he's outnumbered like I think he did the 10 to count. 1. I think he was like, all and, right, that's uh, way too many guys. And he's just like, <laughs> I'm going to get my ass kicked if I even do yeah. anything. So all I can do is just suck it up and like, you know, just take it. Just try to like well, move beyond it. Yeah, but it fits because it's a, it's a movie so much about his sexual frustrations. Right, right. Because he's always striking out. Yeah. And then in that scene, he's he's... Basically, his masculinity is called out, yep, yep. but he can't do anything about can't it. Can't do anything about so it. So once again, it's another form of sexual frustration. Yeah, yeah. Just piling on him. Yeah. He's just getting dumped on left and right in this movie. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. 
and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. All right, let's get to the orgy. Yeah. Um, the movie takes a very strange turn mm -hmm. when he meets up with Nick Nightingale at the Sonata Club, which, yeah. uh, again, looks like no jazz club in New York ever. Oh, it's ever. incredible looking. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, he tells him about this crazy thing, like, you wouldn't believe it. They blindfold me. I'm paid to play the piano. Yep. But the blindfold, like, you know. Last could, time it slipped off a little bit. Yeah, and I could off. see what was going on. And so he gives him the, the Fidelio password. Yeah. Which I've, I've used that as a joke a lot. No one ever <laughs> yes. gets it. Yeah. Um, I'll bust that word out. And everyone's like, what? <laughs> uh, did you say fellatio? <laughs> Uh, so he goes to this this mansion, I guess, in Connecticut or upstate or somewhere. I think it's supposed to be like Long Island or something. Oh, is just it? like way out okay. somewhere, yeah. And um, all of a sudden, it's this, oh, <laughs> it's this Kubrickian, like, nightmare. It's like the most uncanny, yeah. like, nightmarish, bizarre, surreal thing. And, yeah. and you know, even before you're f fully told by Sidney Pollock later, you know that these are... There are very important people behind mm -hmm. those masks. Yes, yes. And that it's very secret. Yeah. And uh, everyone keeps telling him repeatedly, like, you have no idea what kind of danger you're in. Yeah, yeah. Like, these people will fucking kill you. Yeah. To, so the secret doesn't get out. This is, yeah, this is, the idea is just sort of like these are the people who really control society or something. You yeah. Know? It's like, what do they want to call it? Like the Illuminati or uh -huh. the 1% sure. or the elite or, or whatever. Society, yeah. uh, it's It's just kind of like... These these are the real movers and shakers in the world who, you know, the president takes their phone calls and, yeah. you know, kind of takes his marching orders from what they're telling him, you know? Yeah, but all the, it's it's so weird to, like, part of me is just kind of cracking up at it last night. Like, all they're doing is having sex. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's couched in all of this weird ceremony. Right, right. With the, the women in the circle that, uh, which, by the way, like— the uniformity of their bodies yeah, and their yeah. body types. It's a very specific type so that he kind of went for, yeah. freaky to me. Yeah, yeah. Tall, broad-shouldered. Broad yeah. And they all are obviously purposely cast to to be these nameless sort of replicas yeah, of one yeah, another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, what was going on there? What the fuck was that all about? <laughs> it's very, very eerie. Or just don't yeah. question it. Is that is it just to set a tone? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it almost feels to me like they have, like— like you said, they have, they've all been chosen for, for a certain kind of physical uniformity. But there's just something so ominous about that because... It was terrifying. The, the uniformity of it just implies that they've they've probably had to go through so many more, like, yeah. where are they finding these women? Like, yeah, yeah. what happens to the ones who don't make the cut? Like, right. It's just very, very, very odd. I yeah. love the one line it reminded me when 
Tom Cruise is like, because yeah, they're like, you know, you know what this means if yeah. you take his, you know, if you take this on for him. Yeah. She's like, yes, I do. Yeah. And Tom Cruise with Sidney Pogg is like, you know, what the fuck happened to her? And he was like, she got her brains fucked up. Exactly, Same exactly. Same thing that happens yeah, every yeah, other yeah. night. It's like, yeah, it's like she was, that's it. We put her in a car, sent her home. She was fine. Yeah. It was not, there was nothing wrong with her. But I know? don't, I, I don't think I believe that for a second. Well, he says, you know, he's like, you know... It was only a matter of time. It was the same one you already saw OD that one time at my party. Right. So I th- he's I think he's really leaning hard on the fact that like she was a junkie. This is somebody that would have OD'd at some point anyway. Yeah. So what's what's the what's the problem if we sped that up a little bit? You right. know, if we kind of slid the timeline up a few months or whatever. Yeah. That's kind of what he's saying. I think he's like don't don't look at this as somebody who has lost, you know, another he's saying she, 50, her 60 life years of their life or whatever. Anyway, kind of. He's just kind of like, she was already headed for the grave, so what's the big deal, you know? Well, what I want to know is, how did he get found out? We know that he got found out with the password mm-hmm. and the fact that he arrived in a taxi well, and the fact that he had a receipt in his pocket. The thing is, he didn't get found out from the password, though, because there was no second password, right? right? So well, the he password, said, yeah, at the end, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, what yeah. sealed the deal. Yeah, there was no, there was no, um, like when he said Fidelio, that was the correct answer, but uh-huh. it was more the fact that he showed up in a taxi, mm-hmm. whereas everyone else showed up in a limo, right? which is kind of, you see a little bit of that, you know, economic kind of class sure. divide there. Uh, the fact that when they took his uh, his his costume, uh, there was a receipt from the rental shop in the pocket. So they also knew that this is something you don't own. The yeah, coke. yeah, you don't own it, and and <laughs> and you just did this like ten minutes before he got here, kind of thing. Well, how was he found out to her though? Because he enters, mm-hmm. uh, sort of pretty quickly gets paired up with her. Yeah, and she's like. What are you doing here? There, like, yeah. Like, how does she know? Maybe, maybe it's that's the one part that's like wrap the, my head the around. choice of mask or just the fact that he's arriving later after everybody else is there. But she's like, um, it's like clear. Yeah, and, and he gets. I mean, you get that first great Barry Lyndon. Oh yeah, push oh, yeah. In of the two creeps yes. in the upper floor, which is probably Sidney Pollock and and somebody. Yeah, uh, has I been guess suggested so. anyway that you know they had this like crazy like bloodshot eye that yeah. you can kind of see through the mask. Um, but I think the implication is that that's Sidney Pollock kind of clocking him as he comes in. Okay. Realizing, if not that it's Tom Cruise yet, at least realizing there's somebody here who doesn't belong. Yeah. And we've all kind of picked up on that. Uh-huh. But we're going to kind of, for now, hold our breath and just kind of yeah. see what happens. Yeah. Uh, and so he, he wanders around this party. And is it, I think, uh, I remember that there were digital people added in for front the, of the sex scene? For the, uh, for the American version, the theatrical American version. Um, yeah, the reason for that is, you know, we haven't talked about it, but Kubrick died literally within days of finishing right. his kind of like final cut of the movie. Because he, didn't he edit this forever too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think, because they wrapped up shooting uh, in like early 98 and it didn't come out until summer 99. Right. So it was like a, I think a good year plus of post-production. Did he have anyone in his corner Saying like post posthumously, saying like you you can't fuck with this movie. Yeah, well, so, so the thing is that Kubrick had Final Cut with Warner Brothers. Yeah, um, but he also had in his contract because of the nature of the film, because there was going to be some sex in it, he was contractually obligated to deliver an R-rated right movie. So it's like you can make 
it can be as long as you want. You can have whatever scenes you want, mm-hmm. but you have to get an R from the MPAA. Right. We can't. We can't. Can't go NC. Put out a, a sixty-five million dollar, you know, yeah. NC seventeen movie. It just won't work. Right. Uh, for for any number of reasons, um, and so because Kubrick was dead and couldn't get into a battle with the MPAA, yeah, you know, he couldn't. He couldn't like write to them and argue with them and say. You know, here's these ten other movies right. you've given an R rating to, and yep. they have this much nudity. And, and why you are you messing with me? And make your case. Yeah, exactly. He couldn't do any of that. And they, of course, they didn't want to edit the film down. They didn't want to change the pace of the scene. They right. didn't want to like leave shots out. Their only real choice to like maintain the film as close to what his intention was was to put these CGI figures standing around, basically just kind of like fig leaves, you know, yeah. in front of like the the more kind of like explicit parts of it's the It's really scene. obvious though. It's very obvious. Like it's very looking, very unfortunate like 1999 the 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 digital effects were not like up to snuff. I yeah. think today you could probably do it a little better. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's just it, it doesn't work and I'm sure also like the fact that it was mandated by the studio and it wasn't Kubrick like supervising it. Right. I'm sure if he'd been around to do it, they could have gotten it looking better. But I also think he would have probably figured out a way to just get it past the MPAA anyway. Yeah. You know. Um, so yeah, there there are CGI figures. If you get like the American DVD from a long time ago, yeah. I think by now, if you buy it on Blu-ray, in fact, I know this for a fact. If you buy it on Blu-ray or DVD. Or stream it online. At this point, I think the NC-17 is like the cut that everybody oh, really? sees. You can get so full, full fuck version. Yeah, yeah. They've. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing like crazy explicit going on. Yeah, there's there's just, just like some more text. kind of like. Yeah, it's 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 really not that explicit. It's pretty tame. I mean, so. you can see what's going on. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's yeah, it's fine. You know what I had never noticed about the sex scene until this most recent time. I don't know why I never picked up on this, but there's a scene where he walks into one of the rooms. And there's a couple having sex, and I always thought they were having sex on like a, a like a small table or something. Uh-huh. But it's actually a person on all fours, <laughs> wearing like <laughs> a black know. suit. They're like really? one of the the butlers or whatever at this I didn't party, that. and they are they are like having sex on the back of this person. Wow! And that again just shows you like the the power play and the kind of dominance and, yeah. the, and the sort of like you know putting people in their place. Like you are nothing. Like you're just yeah. like a, a, a table for us to screw on. You know. Like that's what we think of you as a person. It's, yeah, it's so so like. Well, and there's crazy. something about the masks too, which, by the way, they're great, great masks. Yes. Um, it 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 appears like there is no joy in any of this for mm-hmm. any of those mm-hmm. people. Um, and it's partially because you can't see expressions, but right. no one's like partying. Like there, no. there's this bacchanalian orgy going on. Yeah. Uh, to, for about a third of the people, right? The, uh, you know, at any given moment, yeah. Because I guess there are only so many girls, but the rest of the people are just standing around, yeah. watching, not doing anything. Very solemn, very but they're kind not of like, serious. They're not masturbating to yeah, it. It's yeah, not yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, it's not like the orgies I've been to. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Real life orgies, very different. Yeah. But um, and and when he uh, well, one of my favorite parts is when he gets told uh, that his his. When he's totally found out and he says, your limo driver or your taxi driver needs to speak yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they walk through the saddest uh, slow dance you've Strangers ever in seen. The night. Strangers yeah, in the Night. Strangers in the Night playing. Yeah, yeah, Which totally reminded me of kind of the ballroom scene in uh, The Shining. Deliberately so, I think. Yeah. And then, but he, when he walks through, and I've seen this movie four or five times, but when he's like, oh, sure, I'll go with you to talk mm-hmm. to my taxi driver. And he opens the door and it's fucking... <laughs> 
the yeah. everybody yes just yeah 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 looking at him yeah and just last night again I'm getting chills oh, I was yeah. just like as soon as he walks in that room out loud I went oh fuck yeah you know you're in some deep shit yeah and I even like, knew it happened but yeah. it was still so powerful yes yeah so creepy oh it's just that it's that uncanny thing it's that it, there's something about the way he composes an image yeah man like the the symmetry of it the lighting of it uh huh everybody's in these kind of like darker cloaks and he's you know the the, yeah. the master of the ceremonies is in the red one in the center yeah and you just know like you've you've arrived at this kind of like tribunal council whatever yeah it's that so is menacing gonna, like, yeah it's tonally yeah it's like you've been called in uh-huh. by like the principal you know and like you're about yeah. to get chewed out like, i'm surprised they let him go because when i first saw it i thought he's He's like, going to get a train pulled <laughs> yeah. on him or yeah. suffer the worst sexual yeah. humiliation. You know, humiliation well, they do, you can you imagine. Know, they, kind of, they kind of skip over what happens because they tell him, remove, remove your, your clothes. clothes. And then the next thing is he's kind of, I don't even remember what the next scene after that is, but well, he, removes he comes the mask. home maybe. Well, the, the, the lady stands up. That's and is right. Like, that's Stop. right. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yes. But right. uh, I'm surprised they let him go. Yeah. Um, and he comes back the next day. I think it's, you know... It's just crazy. I guess you could say, like, if maybe they, maybe they decided we have to let this guy go because he's tied too closely to the Ziggler's Pollock, and yeah. Sydney, yeah, Sydney Pollock's character, and um, it's a little messy if we if we bump this person off, right? So, and was he behind the scenes even saying like, hey, listen, I know this guy. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. He's a well-respected exactly. doctor. It's like we got over we, his head. We got too many connections here. Like, I think the practical thing is, you know, I can talk to this guy. Um, but why wasn't he invited? That's a good question. You know? Yeah. Well, he's not. He um, fits the bill in, a, in most ways, I bet. Yeah, but but I think maybe he's a little he's a little too common. He's a little too really even as a like a wealthy yeah, New York doctor. That's his place. You know, he's that really shows who they were. Exactly. Exactly. They're yeah. they're they're several tiers above where he's at. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, you look at you look at Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's apartment. It's a nice place. I mean, oh, yeah. it's Especially it's a very nice place for, for New York. in New York and Forget Manhattan. You know, that's that's millions and millions of dollars, but it's not Sidney Pollock's place. You yeah. know, it's not a mansion. It's not. He doesn't have a, no. a, an entire wing of Renaissance. No, no, you no, know, no. sculptures and stuff upstairs. Like, you know, Sidney Pollock is is many magnitudes well, wealthier. Well, I think that's one of the. I mean, this movie has a lot of things to say, but I think wealth and status has a lot to do with it. Yes, which is a kind of through line in a lot of Kubrick's work. Yeah, it's a through line in a lot of his work. And I think this movie, like, you know, we were talking about that that book that's in the the, the Hooker's apartment, um, Introducing Sociology. Yeah. Like, I think that is, you know, when you said earlier, like, the, the whole film is about sex, I think it's also about money. Yeah. And it's about, you know, money. Because he's always buying his way. Yeah. Out of things. That's, that's, I mean, even, even his name, Dr. Yeah. Bill, it's uh-huh. like kind of a pun, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause he, 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 he's always buying his way out of stuff. Yeah, like whether yeah. it's the, I'll pay you two times over rental fee for mm-hmm. the costume mm-hmm. or wait here in the cab. I'll uh, give yeah. Rip you, up that hundred dollar bill. <laughs> and, which I was always I was like, just like, what? can you, can you tape that together? Is that still valid currency? <laughs> yeah, you, you can. Okay. There's a certain amount of serial numbers you have to be able to read okay. on it okay. to make it like relevant currency yeah. or whatever. But it is sort of like whatever problem comes up, he can just throw money at it. Yeah. When when um Except when Vanessa Shaw, problem. yeah, when when Vanessa Shaw says, um, "How does 150 sound?" He's like, "That sounds wonderful." Cause yeah. That's like nothing to him, you know. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, totally. I would have done like 500, you know, whatever." Well, and the costume guy, he's like, "I'll give you 100 over rental." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he went, 
two hundred, and he's like, fine, fine, sure. Like he could have said a thousand. Yeah, probably. exactly, exactly. And so, he would have just been like, I got to go to the ATM. Yeah. but yeah, that's that's and, great. And people have kind of counted up, like tallied up. Oh, really? What, what's you know what how much spends? money is he spending on this one kind of wild night out? It was three seventy five for the costume. Yeah, yeah. It's it's probably seven hundred to like a thousand dollars that he spent. Yeah, like it was nothing. You know? Yeah, yeah. So so he's he's definitely at a at a he's insulated a certain extent. Sure. From Stuff that would worry most people. Right. But he doesn't have, you know... Pollock money. Pollock money, yeah. He's not Illuminati right, right, right. styled. Yeah. And I think um, I think that's kind of Kubrick's commentary because when we think of, you know, American society, I think our perception is, you know, there's there's rich people and they're like doctors or yeah. lawyers or, you know, that's, that's who like a rich person is. Like they have like the nicest house in the neighborhood. Rich and wealthy are two different things. Yeah, but wealthy is like yeah. you never see those people because yeah. they keep kind of a low profile. Right. And they live in like a gated community. Right. They just they, – they go to, you know, they vacation in the Hampton. Like you just, you just don't see these people, yeah. you know. Um, so that's – there's like this whole other world that like – when when you're talking about who the really wealthy people in society right. are, it's something that mainstream American society barely even realizes exists. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's played out for sure with this weird sex cult yeah, of, yeah. Like, of wealthy, like, clearly deciders of world policy. Because I think the idea, too, is that, like, you know, Dr. Bill is – he's living in this world that is very, like, conventional. It's also, like, conventional morality, you know? Yeah. And – um even even like the sexual jealousy that starts to happen in his marriage yeah. is tied to this idea of like monogamy and fidelity and fidelio and, and right. all that kind of stuff. Um, whereas it, it kind of makes me wonder, Sidney Pollack and his wife, is he really running around behind her back or does she know and she's okay with it? Do they have some kind of is like Is that his wife and the other mask next to him? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Like you, you sort I of have this that. idea that like – there's this exchange. I believe it's uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald and um, Hemingway. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them says to the other, "Are the rich really so different than us?" Mm-hmm. And the response is, "Yes, they have more money." Right. You know, the the <laughs> idea is that like it's kind of that simple. Yeah, it's kind of that simple. Like like money really changes things. Yeah. And uh, among the things that it changes, it can change somebody's kind of moral and ethical outlook on things. So it's like once you're like for Tom Cruise, he has to live in this kind of nuclear family unit yeah. where he has the wife, the kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you're once you kind of ascend to a certain level of wealth, it's like, well, I, do you have to really be married? Do you have to really like right. you? There, there's so much more that your money can do can, to to buy you out of these situations. Right. That the whole idea of like monogamy and exclusivity right. and all that gets very very you know confused or can anyway. Yeah. And it's kind of like. If you're worth probably billions like Sidney Pollack is, right? Like what? You know, your 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 whole moral calculus is just very very different. Yeah. So it seems like he and his wife. I I don't think it, that it that she is in the dark about what's going on. You know, I maybe agree. she has men that she goes yeah. with or whatever. You know. Yeah, I totally totally agree. Yeah. Uh, well, for Cruz and Kidman's part, they always have pretty much been on they've never come out a ton and talked about like the neg- negative experiences they tried to stay pretty positive and be like you know we we loved stanley yeah and like i think they still ha- worship him mm-hmm. uh but cruz did say and it closes out this vanity fair article from amy nicholson um he says i didn't like playing dr bill mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, i didn't like him it was unpleasant 
Um, and this was a year afterward. He said, but I would have absolutely kicked myself if I hadn't done this. Oh, sure. Which isn't quite the same thing as saying. I had a great time. Yeah. I loved it. I'm happy I did. He's like, it's it's more of a, well, I, I would have regretted not doing it. Fear of missing out kind of. Yeah. yeah. Which is I would, I would have spent the rest of my life saying, what if I'd played that role instead of what yeah. I did? Yeah, that's true. It's like. You know, he's sort of saying, I, I love that I got to work with Kubrick. Right. Maybe I would have preferred it to be a different Kubrick movie or something, yeah. you know. What an maybe, experience. Maybe I it bet. didn't have to be my marriage that got caught caught in between it or something. But. Yeah, and I think no one really knows except those two because Kubrick had all these private therapy sessions with him as the therapist. Yeah, they said that he like was solo he, they and got like really, really and, deep into their marriage, like yeah. a marriage counselor kind of And Tom yeah. and Nicole both and and Kubrick were all like while he was alive, were like, this no one is ever gonna know what we all talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just between us. Take it to the grave. I mean this isn't movie making like regular movie making. No, no. It's kind of something else. Yeah. I mean to me you know, I think there are some you could probably say like in, in kind of experimental theater maybe. Yeah. Where actors are there's there's like there's not even a script, there's uh-huh. not even a, a where where it's kind of about performance and improvisation and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Like you could probably find some of that going on right. between like a uh, a theater director and and some actors that want to do some really deep yeah. personal, almost kind of like psychoanalytic kind of work. Yeah. It it's almost unheard of in film. Yeah. You know, and and, and with Actors of that prominence, uh-huh. it's like no one's ever done that, you know? Yeah, they had the time, which usually – that's usually your biggest enemy on a film set is yeah, time. Yeah, Time and money. And uh, – That's – I mean Kubrick it, understood that luxury. more than anybody that yeah. like, you know, um, yeah, you have to have time. You have to be able to just go follow something through uh-huh. until you are 100% – completely satisfied with it. Yeah. Like nothing nothing ends up on screen that he's not right. happy with completely. Well, yeah. yeah, and Amy Nicholson makes a point like that if Tom Cruise is getting panned for his performance and they're doing 30, 60, 90 takes and that's what Kubrick wanted in there out of all those, yeah. that like that's very purposeful. Yeah. Well, we had that conversation during The Shining about, you know, the difference between like take one yeah. and take 99 or whatever. Um, when I was looking at some interviews for this, um, by by the time Kubrick is doing the post production on uh, Eyes Wide Shut, uh-huh. we're already kind of getting into the realm of. I think he's still editing on. You know, he's editing on film. He's editing on like a flatbed, but yeah. uh, but he he does have like the the dailies transferred to video, right? Which he wouldn't let Tom Cruise watch. Yeah, and so he he actually had like a multi screen heads up display oh, wow. where he could play multiple takes at the same time, uh-huh. or or at least have them queued up to play. Take one, take thirty, take sixty-five, one after another like that. Yeah. And he he apparently raved about how easy this made it to compare the takes because of course when you're strictly on film, you would have to be rewinding the film. Yeah. You'd have to be kind of queuing it up, and, right, and right. there there would be like a a much larger kind of um, gap in time yeah. between seeing the different takes to where you could kind of. You wouldn't be able to A, B, compare it yeah. quite so easily as you could in, in the kind of digital video, you know, era. Yeah. So it, it's interesting that he he kept kind of adapting his post-production techniques, yeah. you know, into, as you would expect, as sure. he did in every other arena of filmmaking. But right. um, yeah, even with like the multiple takes thing, you just imagine 
how difficult that must have been on like The Shining where it's like, can right. we see number 85 again? <laughs> okay, pull up 47 one more time yeah. and uh, let's also look at three and then try to make a decision. It's just, you know, it's wild. Sad that he died. I wanted another one. Yeah, yeah, it's... Um, but I mean, what a movie to go out on. Yeah, what a movie to go out on in in a way. I think this movie... Sort of appropriate. It's sort of appropriate. It feels like it, it's it's... It's him kind of branching out in mm-hmm. a weird way because he'd never done certainly like a, a movie that was as attuned to like human emotions yeah. and, you know, the the dynamics of like a marriage of a relationship. Yeah. That's something that he had talked about going back to like the 60s mm-hmm. um, that he wanted to make this kind of film. Um, he had uh, briefly kind of considered, I think, making a film called Blue Movie in mm-hmm. the 60s, which was based on a, a Terry Southern book, a Terry Southern idea. Yeah. Um, Terry Southern that he'd worked with on Dr. Strangelove. Right. And um, there was this whole thing happening in like the 60s going into the 70s of like porno chic. Right. Where movies like Deep Throat and yeah. so on were kind of playing in like more mainstream theaters. And, you know, it's like that scene in Taxi Driver where Travis Bickle takes her on the date to yeah. the porn theater and she doesn't like it. But <laughs> that's something that like couples were doing a little yeah. more in that era than than today, certainly. Um, so Kubrick had this idea kind of from early on that like he would like to make something very human, mm-hmm. you know, almost the exact opposite of something like 2001 where right. it's, it, the machines are almost kind of the, the, the main character yeah. in a way. Um, he did, he did have this other side of him that wanted to see real human emotion, but jealousy. It, but and, as Kubrick. Yeah. As, as Kubrick, which is very different. Base, yeah. You know, it's not, it's not like a, a Bergman film or something, yeah. you know? Um, but I think that's cool that he went out on a movie where he was still trying new things. Where yeah. he, was, he was refining his his approach from from other films, but he was also at the same time trying to do something very different and yeah. very kind of you know who knows where he would have gone from from there. You know, yeah. and it is sad that that he didn't get to go further. But at the same time, I think this film contains so much of his past films. Yeah. You know, there's so many parallels to The Shining, uh-huh. to Barry Lyndon. Um, even 2001, when when there's a shot of him walking into the hospital mm-hmm. and this revolving door, oh, yeah. it feels very 2001, you yeah. know? And, and knowing Kubrick, I mean, there's probably a hundred different revolving door entrances yeah. they looked at, and you yeah. picked that one in particular <laughs> that has this kind of space-age feel to it. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of these little nods throughout the film where he's kind of in a very gentle way, looking backwards at yeah. all his films, and it feels like he's integrating them all into this one. Yeah, it feel I don't know if it's retrospective uh, tagging, but it feels it has a feeling of finality to yeah, it for yeah. some reason. And I'm sure Kubrick was was you know was aware of his own mortality sure. to it to a large extent, and maybe didn't. I mean, I, one thing that that is very strange um, that I didn't really pick up on until watching it this most recent time is that when he goes over to the uh, the patient's house who's passed away. Uh-huh. And she's talking about, you know, he had such a good day yesterday. Right. And um, and then he said, I'm, I'm a little tired. I'm going to go lay down and take a nap. Yeah, and I went it. into the room and I was cooking dinner. And then half an hour passed by and I came in to check on him. And I thought he was just sleeping. And right. then I realized, like, he, he passed away in his sleep. This yeah. character did. But that's also what happened to Kubrick is he died in his sleep. Right. And, and also in, you know, Tom Cruise is reassuring her, I'm, I'm certain your father didn't suffer at all. You yeah. Know? Kubrick had the exact same kind of death where he passed – you know, gently like in his right. sleep and there was no prolonged, 
medical kind right. of he didn't um, fight cancer for five yeah, years. Yeah, exactly, and, exactly. So yeah. he just kind of went to sleep one night and didn't wake up. You know, so, so sad. It's interesting that, though that he kind of it happened in the movie too. Yeah. You know. All right, dude. Well, that's it for this one. Uh, what do you want to do? Like, uh, part of me was thinking, all right, let's move on and tackle like Godard or Truffaut or yeah. Kurosawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my head is so in Kubrick. Well, that like I feel like we should just throw another Kubrick in there and just kind of keep her on this train. I think if we if we're going to stick with Kubrick, I think the natural kind of next film to talk about would be Paths of Glory. All right, because done. We'll get into it, but but it has thematically it has a lot in common with say Barry Lyndon, The Shining, yeah. Eyes Wide Shut. All right, it's, everyone. It's another piece of that puzzle. We're going to keep the Kubrick train rolling with Casey. Look uh, forward to Paths of Glory. In a month or so. Yeah. And uh, I look forward to that. I haven't seen it. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks. Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at HowStuffWorks Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com.